Welcome to the Firearms Trainers Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman, and today we'll be talking about what firearm instructors should be telling their students. We bring in this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Head on over to their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by the ConcealedCarry.com business directory. Did you know that you can get a free listing for your instruction business on ConcealedCarry.com? Visit biz.concealedcarry.com and add your business for free. It will be searchable online and to potential students who use the ConcealedCarry.com mobile app. Claim your listing today. Today, we are joined by Brian Eastridge from the On Duty, Off Duty podcast, who is a police officer and firearm instructor. Welcome, Brian. How are things going for you today? Great. Great. Busy, um, busy, but uh, going well. That's that's always good to hear from firearm instructors and things like that. Um, you've been on several times before. I think this uh, I was actually looking. This is your third time on, which we appreciate you taking the time. But for those listeners who may not be familiar with who Brian Eastridge is, um, can you give, give our listeners a little bit of your background? Well, start out, I spent, uh, spent my childhood, the bulk of my childhood, uh, with my dad in gun shops and gun shows. And then, uh, when I was about 18 years old, I decided to jump out of planes and join the army, spent four years there, got into the competitive shooting circles in the, uh, greater Fort Bragg area and got to shoot some world-class dudes. That was a, that was a phenomenal experience. Some of them are still I'm still associated with and uh, have reconnected with over the years. I, I got out of the army in 2002 and became a police officer in September. I actually just finished my 18th year, so it's been a been a uh, lot of peaks and valleys there in that career. But in that 18 year window, I've been a competitive shooter. I've shot, you know, PPC. I shot three gun, USPSA, IDPA all the, all the A's mm -hmm. and, uh, and I've been a, a firearms instructor, a, a police firearms instructor for, I want to say 15 years now, may, maybe a little more, give or take, but, uh, taught hundreds of recruits in pistols and shotguns and now patrol rifles and low light operations with, with various platforms. And a couple of years ago, I've been a patrol bicycle instructor. I kind of revamped our bicycle program for our, our agency. And uh, then uh, on the personal side, I've, I've had a training company for about two and a half years where I kind of ventured into civilian training. Saw some, uh, some need for trying to eliminate skill set disparities there mm -hmm. between your, your entry-level concealed carrier and your proficient firearms operator, so to speak. And I'm co-owner of EDC Belt Company. Make the found, we make the foundation belt. It's available at uh, concealedcarry.com. Good, good belts. And I've got one with, of those. <laughs> excellent, man. That's, that's mm -hmm. great. It's, uh, that's, a, that's a labor of love, and it, it's an ebb and flow with uh, the time consumption. It's feast or famine. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, got the off duty on duty podcast. I, I, before we had the previous 
podcast, the Law Dog Shooting Sports podcast that was really more of a syndicated radio program. And when that kind of ran its course, I called our good friend Jacob Paulson and I said, this is kind of winding down. If you want to do something, let me know. And uh, we launched about two weeks ago with the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast and really enjoying doing that. Yeah, you got some good quality ones. I've uh, listened to it, and that's what's kind of the impotence behind uh, bringing you on because one of the topics you had was about, um, you know, what what should concealed carriers do, um, you know, from a pr- police perspective. And I took that and kind of twisted a little bit of saying, okay, if this is what concealed carriers should do, then what should the instructors be telling their students when it comes to things and not hear from a quote-unquote industry expert about things but actually think about it from a police officer standpoint because it's face it if i'm if i'm forced to go along defend myself and use my firearm whether i squeeze the trigger or not i'm not going to be talking to an industry expert at that time i'm going to be talking to a you know a, a law enforcement officer who's on duty who you know they've got certain attitudes um or ideas about how doing things and the better off I can be as far as presenting that I'm a good guy and not do things that set off alarms in their head. I think that's, that would be a really good thing for instructors to know. Yeah. I had a conversation with uh, Daryl bulky last week. If you're familiar with Daryl, Daryl from uh, hits training down in uh, Texas, him and Wayne Dobbs teach, you know, they teach quite a few courses a year. Mm-hmm. And I noticed over the years training with civilians, there seems to be, I won't say a negative with training with cops or, or there seemed to be some kind of like disconnect there. And we, we kind of talked about that and he said, you know, probably some of the wisest money you can ever invest in training is training with a cop that's been there, done that. Because if you're involved in a shooting, the first person you're going to see is a patrol officer. The -hmm. next person you're going to see is probably a homicide detective or, uh, you know, some detective investigating your shooting. Mm-hmm. The next person you're going to probably be talking to is a district attorney's investigator who, guess what, is probably a retired police officer and is still a police officer in some format. And then when you get up and have to testify or you go into a trial, you're going to be dealing with the testimony of police officers that investigated that scene. So it's really kind of a wise thing to maybe take firearms training from a police officer. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really good perspective because um, let's put it this way: I I am not striving for in my you know it's not on my bucket list to be in a shooting because I know if I'm involved in a shooting, I've got a greater than zero chance of getting injured, and I would like to you know not be injured at all. I'll do my best to avoid it, but if the if trouble comes knocking um, and I have to, at least I've got the skill to do that. Um, the first question I've got for you, you know, as uh, as a police officer, how should you know a concealed carriers uh, carry their firearm? Um, you know, because see a lot of people, you know, they do you know shoulder rigs, they do um, you know off-brand holsters some do you know like the expensive galco holsters some do ankle holsters things like that um what what goes along and kind of sets up a red flag from a law enforcement perspective um about different carry methods well you really hit the nail on the head with the first statement concealed carriers be concealed that's number one yeah. no, um, no open carry yeah that draws too much attention <laughs> and i am i am an advocate for the second amendment uh, it, 
I don't have, I personally do not have an issue with open carry. As far as the ex, exercising your constitutional right to carry a firearm. I, on that aspect of it, I, I don't have an issue with it. But to me, it sends the message that one, you've never been trained how to properly concealed carry. And two, you're, you're carrying a message and not just a firearm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the old adage, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Somebody that's professional about carrying a firearm, you should never know they're carrying a firearm <laughs> unless it comes up in conversation. Um, as far as your carry method, there's lots of good ones out there. I pretty well stick to appendix carry with a holster or strong side with a holster. Uh, inside the waistband, outside of the waistband does to me really doesn't matter there. I I've carried an ankle gun for a number of years as a police officer. That was a secondary gun. Uh, I know very professional instructors that ca- that pocket carry with a holster, uh, smaller J frame type revolvers. That to me is, is, uh, that's kind of a personal choice. But those are kind of the methods that I stick to. Shoulder holsters, I'm not, I'm not real keen on. Uh, small of the back holsters, I'm not keen on. Ankle holsters is your primary gun. Uh, I, I, I have some, some strong feelings about it, but if that's the only way you can carry, it's better to be armed than unarmed. So, so I, don't, I don't really toddle off into the weeds about so much how you can carry, as long as it's A, it's concealed, and B, it's in a holster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, quality, quality holster too, I, I think is one yeah. of those things I've seen some nylon holsters where, you know, one size fits all and probably should avoid those at all, uh, you know, at all costs because normally they don't, if they fit, if they fit all kinds of firearms and they probably don't fit anything properly. Right. And I'm a big proponent of Kydex and I know when I grew up in the shooting community, um, it was the Milt Sparks Summer Special in a 1911, and if you put a 1911 in Kydex, that you were instantly condemned to Hades, and there was a stigma about it. Nowadays, uh, I think Kydex is probably the, the most, or Bolteron, whatever type of uh, a really solid plastic, injection-molded, hand-molded, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that type of holster is pretty much the standard now, whether it be inside the waistband or, or on the belt or or appendix, especially for appendix. So, and, and there's still some merit to leather holsters. Don't get me wrong. There's just a limited number of them that I feel like are quality and durable and they're kind of cost prohibitive. And the other thing is leather starts to wear, it starts to collapse in on itself and it Stretch can become a safety kind of hazards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you've got to be proactive to go, Hey, this holsters, it, it's, outlived its service life it's time to retire it and get another one uh, there's nothing better than a leather holster for comfort it just is but uh yeah that, that's kind of my take on that okay another question i have for you um what should a concealed carrier's attitude be you know while they're carrying it you know should they you know if somebody's walking around say you know look what i have or you know don't don't you know don't bother me. I think that's kind of probably the wrong attitude to have. It should be, you know, under the radar, radar kind of great gray man kind of, uh, approach to things, you know? Yeah. We, we did an episode on the gray man. Um, I think it was episode two or three. 
there, there are kind of a lot of them right now. So uh, I don't remember the exact episode number. Go, go subscribe to the podcast and you'll find it. Um, but to me, you should be in and amongst the populace. You should be the one knowing you're carrying a firearm. That's the only difference. There, it should not be uh, some type of magic talisman that, that wards off evil. And you certainly should not go looking for evil to try to intervene in as a concealed carrier. You just have an extra layer of protection that the, the unarmed populace does not. Mm-hmm. Yep. And those are, it's important that uh, we impress that upon our students because, you know, you read about the people that get themselves in a the bad situation and sometimes they survive um, you know, physically. And sometimes, you know, they don't survive, you know, criminally, you know, they end up getting charged because they got in the middle of the, of the wrong thing, didn't know what was all happening. And that's where having the right attitude and, uh, in, employing on your students about, you know, this is the way, you know, this is the attitude you should have, you know, don't, don't go out there and try to make, make a statement at Walmart, you know, by open carrier, go along and, you know, try to, you know, solve the problem at the customer service counter, go along and, and, you know, fly into the radar. So nobody, but, you know, and, that way when you if you are forced to use it then it'll be a surprise of into whoever you've got to present it to and hopefully that'll allow you to persevere yeah i did uh i did kind of a aside on the gray man episode i won't spoil the entire episode but i I gave a thought-provoking uh kind of adapt adaptation of the gray man that i've taken um and that is if i have to go somewhere that I know there might be some element of criminal there. I try to dress in a manner that the criminal might see me and go, that guy's probably armed. And I don't mean by, you know, having my gun poking out of my shirt or something like that, but, you know, wearing my favorite t-shirts and thank you, CCW safe. You, you now have provided me like three quarters of my wardrobe. Um, that has an American flag on the shoulder and their logo and says, you know, you, you, you carry, we cover. And my favorite brand of cargo shorts and my favorite brand of shoes that only mountain climbers and firearms instructors wear that kind of sends a, like a preemptive message. But I don't recommend that for somebody that maybe doesn't have at least some limited powers of arrest. It's more for me to go, uh, I, I don't look like the, to use the parlance of uh, Daryl Bulky, I don't look like the wounded baby gazelle at the watering hole. Mm-hmm. And, and I've actually, on a couple of occasions, been profiled for my wardrobe by criminals, by people that I, that I am well aware were involved at some point in their life in criminal activity. And two of them have identified me as a cop when I had no logo back the blue, any of that on my shirt. And, uh, both of them, I told them I sell insurance. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was, but, but there again, they were able to identify something in me that said, Hey, I, I that's not the guy to pick. Yep. Um, well, that's what, but, that's what makes criminals good. You know, they can pick the people that are, that they don't want to pick. They don't want to get involved with, and they can, you know, as you said, you know, they can pick out the wounded gazelle at the watering hole because that'll be an easy target. And that's where as instructors, we want to instill that confidence level and, uh, make sure our students are thinking about that. Yeah. And, th- and there again on that, that's, 
that's something that I, I throw out as kind of a, a, a thought provoking mentality. For me, it's, it's kind of a personal thing. Uh, but generally like 95% of my daily life, if I walked into McDonald's or, you know, not to brand plug our favorite restaurants, but if I walked in there and was standing in line, nobody's going to know that I'm carrying a gun and nobody's going to be, have any indication that, that I'm armed. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of my, my secondary part of the gray man. And it, it really elicited some good conversation with some, uh, with one Hanny McMood. So Yep, that was. I listened to that, and that's a good episode. And uh, some of the, that's where some of the questions are coming from because uh, I just thought about okay, you know, the instructors, if we're out there teaching concealed carriers or even advanced classes, we should be instilling this kind of attitude and passing along to people so that they can be safer um, and smarter about what they do uh, for it. Here, here's another uh, question for you what's, What should a concealed carrier do after an encounter? You know, they go along and they're forced to draw their firearm, um, whether they shoot it or not, you know, they, they're going to be, they should be, you know, calling 911 and requesting assistance, at least saying, Hey, there's somebody running down the street that just tried to assault me, rob me, whatever the situation is, or, you know, there's somebody on the ground that needs medical help and I'm, you know, leaving the area to go to a safer area or something along those lines. But, you know, what, what should they do? You know, what would law enforcement recommend a concealed carrier do um, after an encounter like that? My, my number one thing is, is get yourself safe. Um, how, by whatever means that, that, that means. Now, the, the legal threshold, and I'm not an expert to talk about that. A guy like Don West from CCW Safe could, volumes of, of books about that. Uh, but personally, my, my initial thought is I need to make sure that I'm safe or if I'm with a loved one, we need to make sure that we're safe. That's mm-hmm. the first priority. The second thing is if, if you've drawn your firearm or you've just discharged your firearm, you should be on the phone or your loved one should be on the phone calling 911 saying, I am right here given some general details about the incident. And I think that kind of follows along with CCW safe's recommended uh, protocol for what to do in the, in the event of a, of an encounter. Uh, and then telling, telling 911 or, or whoever your emergency services, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm dressed like. This is, this is the general outline of what happened. I, somebody just tried to rob me or somebody just tried to, you know, kidnap my kid or, or whatever the circumstances, uh, that that's the initial, to me, the initial, uh, the, the initial after, after action that needs to occur. Uh, and certainly you have to temper that with what is reasonable to the average human being. And an example of unreasonable is you just shot someone in an encounter or you just pulled your firearm on somebody and then you drove home. You, you had yourself a nice long bath, you know, had a glass of your, your, your favorite libation. And then the police come knock at your door and you make a statement. That's not, that's not the recommended protocol. Mm-hmm. Get yourself safe, get on the phone and start getting first responders headed to you 
or to the suspect. If you've just injured someone, they're going to need medical attention. So you're going to want to start that, get that process started. Uh, after that, I can, the, my best default is CCW safe. That is, and I, I hate to sound like a product plug, but I have seen firsthand what they do for concealed carriers and you know armed citizens that have been in encounters. As soon as 911 hangs up, that's my next phone call. And mm-hmm. take all take all marching orders from from the people that that uh, that do that for a living and that are experts in that area. Definitely, I think in today's uh, world. Um, you need CCW safe or any of the other products that are out there on the market that do similar type of things. And, uh, it, it does uh, behoove you to go along and make sure that you understand what those products do, what they, what they won't do. Um, so that you can stay uh, safe because, you know, when you're looking at legal bills, just uh, to be found innocent of, you know, $25,000, I know I don't have that kind of money sitting in my bank account, um, just to be spent on a lawyer. You know, I've got, it's I got that, you know, tagged for retirement and other, other kind of fun things for me. So that's great. Right. Here's a very interesting one. And I know, um, uh, we've, we've had different people, um, ask or answer this on the, on the show. And we've seen it a couple of different times over the last couple of years, but what would be your suggestion to concealed carriers if they saw a police officer that was um, in need? You know, they were, um, they'd gotten shot. Somebody was, you know, uh, holding them at gunpoint. They were, you know, getting pummeled on the ground, you know, whatever the situation is. But they, uh, the concealed carry holder um, suspected that that officer needed assistance. And we obviously don't want to be running up to a police officer with her gun out, you know, saying, uh, but at the same time, how would, how, what would be your suggestion of communicating with that officer to see if they need help or, you know, at least not being mistaken for it, for an, an attacker? Right. There was a briefing Dr. William April did that I attended at TACCON that was extremely thought provoking in, and it dealt with that very scenario. And what I would say is initially you, you need to ask yourself a number of questions. One, am I prepared to take somebody's life? Two, is by me intervening, is the risk of me saving that person right now or the reward of that outweigh the risk of being potentially shot by responding police officers, uh, being permanently disabled by the suspect because, I mean, you don't have the protection that the law enforcement or the training that probably that the law enforcement officer has. But you've got to ask yourself a series of really tough moral questions right then. Uh, From there, my recommendation is if it has digressed to the point that you feel compelled to get involved, as you come upon that incident, you need to probably announce yourself, officer, do you need help? Do you need help? I'm here to help. Reinforce that. Is there something I can do? And that situation, there's really not a stock answer, but that would be the, the one that I would encourage people mm-hmm. is if you do see that and there's not a responding officer in the immediate vicinity it, that you feel compelled to take action, you know, you, there is a large risk associated with that. And I've had a couple of incidents in my career where I've had civilians and off-duty officers. Um, that have assisted me. 
I, I was actually in, in a struggle with a carjacker one night and I look up and I see the end of a J frame and I thought, well, I don't hear a loud noise and a bright flash. And if, if, if it's coming, it's too late to do anything about it now. And it happened to be an off duty trooper that saw the situation and drew down on the bad guy while I was engaged with him. And when I looked up and there was, there was a definite like flicker of my entire life flashed before my eyes. And he goes, I'm here to help. Just let me know if you need me to go hands on. And, uh, well, we got right back to business, but that individual had the degree of training that, uh, maybe most citizens won't. And it just happened to be at a point where there was kind of a lull in the altercation. And as a law enforcement officer, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It scared scared me to death because I am literally looking at this individual's gun. And uh, fortunately, he was on my team. And as responding officers showed up, I told him, I said, man, holster up or go ditch that gun right now because the cavalry's coming. They don't know you from me from, from come here from Sikkim. So mm-hmm. you've got to weigh the risk versus reward. Uh, but certainly the first thing you need to do is announce yourself. I'm here to help. How can I help you? How can I help you, sir? Uh, can I help you handcuff this person? Um, because let's face it, even if it's a physical altercation, there's a gun involved. It's the officer's gun, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and are you prepared if the suspect starts attacking that officer's gun? Have you made the moral decision that I can now take a human life? And it's definitely one of those scenarios that you need to rehearse these things in your mind before you even consider getting involved in that. You, know, you uh, want to because, be a good witness and just call 911 and say, hey, officer needs assistance. Or, you know, do you want to take that extra step, which, you know, could open you up to right. criminal. It could open up civil. Um, you know, there again, can't probably can't say it enough. You know, you need some kind of protection, you know, car- concealed carriers in today's world because, um, you know, a simple criminal tri- uh, criminal investigation could be, you know, you know, twenty five thousand dollars, um, and that you know, CCW yeah. Safe and other companies, you know, offer you know great great packages. Another question I would ask is: is are you prepared in the event uh, that you possess the, the the skills to intervene in that? And that being said, if you don't, and you accidentally wound the officer while you're trying to do your best, you know. Yeah, due diligence is rolling around point. on the ground and your shot ends up, you know, hitting the bad guy and the good guy. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the repercussions of that could follow you for a lifetime. Now you, you may be a hero and give and the officer gets a flesh wound and we all high five and Oh, thank God we all survived. But you know, what if you terminate two human lives in that scenario? And one of them was the good guy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or here's another scenario that, that, I'll pitch and we don't have to talk and elaborate on it too much, but what if the officer is making a bad arrest? And I don't mean that that happens on a, with commonality or, or, you know, monotonous regularity, but what if the legalities of that arrest come into question later and you mm-hmm. intervened in it? That's something that I don't think a lot of civilians are even cognizant of is that could have been, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, chest, chest puffing and chin wagon that, de- that escalated into a physical confrontation. 
mm-hmm. and maybe it wasn't a righteous arrest and now you're trying to get involved in it, that's a recipe for disaster. So definitely, so certainly if you are an armed citizen and you are trying to prepare yourself for that, uh, play the think it out game with yourself long before that happens. Think of all the scenarios that you possibly can. And then if the time comes, weigh the risk versus reward. Certainly not. If an officer turns around and says, please help me, please get involved. We will, you know, you'll probably get a free meal and uh, maybe an award and an awards banquet Mm -hmm. someday. But, but if not, maybe it's just better to stand there and observe and call the cavalry. Yep. Exactly. One of the things uh, uh, we had Thomas Yoxall, who was involved in an officer, um, saving an officer out in the Arizona desert, um, episode 64, and people haven't listened to that before. Um, That sends chills up your spine listening to him talk about, you know, 4 a.m. in the morning in the middle of uh, the desert uh, on uh, on the expressway, and he's got to make a decision very quickly, you know, does he get involved or not? And, you know, he goes through, he, you know, he says right there, you know, he was handcuffed for several hours because he had just, you know, killed somebody, but it, you know, they did, you know, quick investigation. They, you know, the officer told him, Hey, you know, he actually saved my life. And then, you know, they, they took the handcuffs off, but it still took him nine hours before he could get back in his car to continue on doing what he was doing. And, um, if you haven't listened to episode 64, listen to it because it's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's somebody who's gone through it and you can definitely learn a few uh, lessons when it comes to assisting police officers, uh, listening to what his uh, real life story was about. Uh, last question for you, Brian. Um, what do you think about cooperation when it comes to, um, you know, concealed carriers that are in an altercation? Should they be, you know, you know, misinformation and tell you, you know, everything under the sun about, Hey, I'm carrying this kind of Glock, this kind of ammo, blah, blah, blah. You know, I go shooting so many times a week, all that kind of information or should, uh, you know, should I peel it back a little bit and not be so cooperative about giving that information out of the scene? Well, my, my answer to that would be to default to a legal expert. And, and I don't say that to try to deflect the question. Um, one of the things CCW safe preaches is, you know, give, give enough information about the incident that occurred, uh, to assist the officers with getting the big picture of what mm-hmm. is just, what has just taken place, but don't talk too much. Um, there's a saying in police work, a lot of criminals talk their way into jail. And I'm not saying that if you've been in a, a righteous and justifiable shooting by the, the standards of the law and, and reasonableness and the thresholds of legality, et cetera. Uh, but don't, you know, don't give up too much before you consult an attorney and somebody, and not just an attorney, somebody that's an expert in self-defense shootings. Uh, that, that would be my answer for that is, is, we appreciate cooperation. We understand when somebody says, I just, this, this incident occurred. I need to speak to an attorney mm-hmm. and something else you need to be very, very aware of is when you pull the attorney card and you say, I, I need to make a phone call. You know, I have a legal service that'll represent me. You may get booked into a jail. You may get detained for, you know, a number of hours, like you said, the, the gentleman before, 
nine hours before he was ready to carry on with normal life. You need to make up your mind that that's just going to be part of it. Um, very, very general details until you can consult with an attorney. Um, you know, ammunition, gun, all that stuff. You know, to me, that's that can play in later, but it's really not necessary information. Um, to me, necessary information is that guy did this to me, and I did that that to him to prevent this. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll, I'll sign the complaint. And I'll talk to my attorney. You know, for, and 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 me personally, even as a police officer, I have a CCW safe membership because I don't want to not. I don't want to. If I'm traveling out of state and I'm lawfully carrying a firearm, I don't want to be in an incident and then find out that my local legal representation goes, oh, well, he was out of state. That's on him. I don't want, I, maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. Maybe that, maybe the powers that be would uh, support me in that. Maybe they wouldn't. I don't know, but I don't want to take that risk. Mm-hmm. So to mitigate that, that risk, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a member and, uh, it's ch- yeah. it's cheap it's cheap it, insurance as uh, we've gone along and said uh, cheap insurance does keep you keep you uh, out of jail and you know be able to have representation for you or or maybe not keep you out of jail but maybe get you out of jail um, that's a, that's a good point this if you've studied the Stephen Maddox case and that is um, that is a shining example and I would encourage any listener to uh, Google Stephen Maddox and what CCW safe provided for him. And that to me is the industry gold star of this was a self-defense shooting that spiraled into a murder charge that ultimately was unwound at trial and justice prevailed on his behalf. Mm -hmm. So, and CCW safe was with him every single step. And I, I can't quote the amount of money that they paid out in that particular incident. I, I'd be remiss to do that. Uh, there are personal friends of mine that were in even, you know, my, my dad, my father that works for CCW Safe that were involved, intimately involved in that case. And it changed my perspective on, number one, on that company because it was formed by people I know. Uh, and number two, on how bad things can go, even if it's okay, even if it's right and righteous. Yep. And, that, and that's where become familiar with Steve Maddox and his case, because, um, again, um, it, it can be very helpful in, uh, making your students, uh, understand, um, you know, even when everything goes, um, wrong and you're right, um, in a case like Steve Maddox, um, the police are going to, operating a certain set of uh, circumstances and in, on Stevens, they had uh, some wrong assumptions, but it still went to trial and they're the only, only provider I think right now that's got a case that's actually gone to trial and, and um, you know, and got a decision in court. Yeah. Ultimately prevailed. The other thing I was going to add on that, the Stephen Maddox case is, is it, it should send shockwaves through you when you read it. And, you know, I, I was, privy behind the scenes to see some of the stuff that was going on. And I thought, man, if I'm ever in a situation, these are the dudes that I want back in me, uh, you know, former law enforcement officers. And I will waive 
the thin blue line flag. I am a 100% cop sellout that, uh, you know, be it that my career, but mistakes get made, things get overlooked. And it was really eye opening to see, and it can be based on what region or what county or what, what area you're in and the, the assets and resources that they have to investigate the crime. And I know that's, that's not what people want to hear, but it's the absolute truth. Um, you know, a rural community may not have the budget to do the, the most thorough investigation that you expect would be, would happen. And that's not to throw those guys under the bus that work rural communities. It's just the reality. Well, in, and, in metropolitan areas, they could, they could have a political motivation behind it also, you know, to where exactly. they're exactly, and that's where, you know, uh, how much do you want to gamble? Because it all depends on where you are and you know, what, what's going on. And those, those are factors to keep in mind. Yeah. Okay. Well, Hey, Brian, we've been asking everybody this year, a, a quick question. Um, but what books are you reading to improve yourself and, uh, can be on anything, but just give everybody, our listeners a little bit of taste about what people are reading, um, you know, out there. Well, I'm going to throw out a quick one to, uh, our, our buddy, Jack Carr. I just finished Savage Sun, awesome fiction novel. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of know some of the people that some of the characters are based on. So, I thought that was a really great read if you're into fiction read, which I don't read fiction very often, but it took me about two and a half, three hours to read that book. I'm a pretty <laughs> fast reader as it is. Um, the main one when it comes to shooting, and I will temper this with you need to go to a class with somebody that trains in these methods and understands it to kind of unwind the book. But if you want to become a better shooter and you really want to dive in, Practical Shooting Beyond Fundamentals by Brian Enos. It was written in 1990. Um, I have not found a better book that goes into the depth of fundamentals, which in the name, Beyond Fundamentals. That one, to me, I read it at least once a year. I have it on audiobook, and every year that I read that book, um, I, I come across something that I've either forgotten or that I can work on and get better. Um, but that book is kind of like reading quantum physics, unless you've been to a good training class. Uh, you know, somebody like Ernest Langdon, Larry Dickers, Dave Harrington, somebody, Dave Spaulding, somebody that understands the, uh, the lingo. Uh, next, I just got Texas flood, the Stevie Ray Vaughan story. And this is, this is going to sound like a total uh, not a cliche. I'm, I'm a musician too. I play guitar and, and I've played live music for years and off and on. But if you are a firearms instructor and you are looking at business models and how to structure your business, you can kind of see that there's a lot of correlation between a traveling musician and a traveling firearms instructor. And they deal with the same financial woes. There's just more zeros attached to them. Uh, the third book that I read, and I read it about once a year, is by Sammy Hagar, the Red Rocker, you know, former frontman of Montrose and Van Halen. And I, again, I know it sounds cliche, but that, that guy is an entrepreneurial genius, and he talks a lot about how he's made money in his lifetime, not just in music, but by identifying a niche market and exploiting it with ideas 
And again, if you're a firearms instructor, it doesn't just have to be about guns. Um, you know, I've read The Art of the Deal and things like that, but uh, that book that the Sammy Hagar read, it's called Red, uh, it, was pretty, it was put out about 10 years ago. Uh, you start to see that that guy is a good musician and he is a genius level entrepreneur. And you can incorporate some of that stuff into your thinking when you design classes, when you design products, when you design, you know, marketing, I, I hate to say schemes, but the marketing approach to product placement and a number of other things. Um, if you want a quick example I got out of that book, I'll give you one. Hey, give uh, us one. Yeah. So that guy did discovered that uh, all these big bands that were touring were paying a major travel agency and they were paying out astronomical fees for airline tickets and hotels and, and buses. And, and they had a, you know, a service that provided that. And he looked at that and decided, well, maybe I can hire a travel agent just to book my individual travel and see if there's a savings away from this. And pretty soon he formed one of the largest travel agencies that had the bulk of the traveling acts from that era were using his service because it was a cost savings to the bottom line. And they had a personal connection with somebody that had been in the industry and under, understood the ins and outs of it. And he capitalized and made millions in, in just by identifying something that everybody used. And if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an individual business owner, there's a lot of substance to take from that book, aside from just the, you know, the, the typical rock and roll story. But, but that, that was really enlightening to, to read that and see his thought process was more than just, if I put three chords in an attitude, I have a song. Mm -hmm. So, so that's kind of the ones that I read, uh, kind of in rotation. Um, the Stevie Ray Vaughan book had, had some of that. And there are some musicians in there that I have a, you know, a personal relationship with. So it was kind of interesting to see their perspective and, and see a lot of the struggles that they have are the same that, that I have and everybody else that I know has with personal development, personal growth and how to make the bottom line be in the black and not the red. So Good. There you go. Food There's some def <laughs> definitely some unique books there. We really haven't had uh, nobody's talked about so far this year. And where can people find more out about you as a instructor, your podcast, and your belts? Okay, the instructor. I'll start with the instructor side. I have Eastridge Training Consulting. It's a Facebook page. Most of the times I get booked for instructor stuff, somebody reaches out to me through that Facebook page and says, "Hey, I got a group of guys. I want to put on a class." Um, I, I have not formalized it any further than that because I have not had to, uh, there's been enough demand there and with the pandemic and ammo shortage, that's kind of waned a little bit, which is fine. Uh, the off duty on duty podcast, we have a website off duty on duty.com. There's a contact page in there. Uh, there's links to all the different podcast platforms that you, you want to, uh, you know, you want to listen to, whether it be, you know, on Android device or an Apple device, we have the, the podcast goes out on all of them. Um, and the websites there, EDC belt company. We have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram page. It's 
EDC Belt Company. There's a website in development. I know I've been saying that for like a year and a half, but um, we just have had enough demand through our online vendors, uh, you know, specifically partnering with uh, Langdon Tactical and ConcealedCarry.com. We have enough demand there that we honestly have not had time to develop a website. It is in the works. Uh, but EDC Belt Company, Facebook, Instagram, Concealed Carry, Lane, and Tactical, you can find us there. Um, and I think that's, that I, I think I covered all of them there. That's it. Next time we have you on, you'll have to have the website set up so we can put a website address in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, it'll, it'll make me busier. So the one day off this month that I've had, I'll have to work on that day too. <laughs> so, well, but, but remember Sammy Hagar, you know, find the niche market and maybe you'll go along and uh, be able to capitalize upon it. Yeah. If I could, if I could talk on that, the, the belt company is, uh, excellent. I, I have taken kind of a back seat to David and Kristen, uh, a great couple that, uh, that bought out the, the bulk of the business and they are running it like a well-oiled machine. And David and I are, are good friends. His wife, Kristen, does our sewing and, and everything else. And customer service is awesome. And we just have not reached a point where we've had to grow into a website because they have managed it that effectively. And I, if you haven't checked out the EDC Belt Company Foundation Belt, I I would encourage you. I kind of feel like the hair club guy. I'm not just a you know the owner. I'm a member. No it's it's really a great product i believe in it my my lower back from years of police work has suffered for decades now and uh the belt that that i kind of invented there uh has alleviated a lot of those problems as a concealed carrier so you know i'd encourage encourage people to check it out if you get your favorite gun belt great easiest way to sum it up is it's a nylon belt that wears like a leather belt so there's Very good. I, I, I enjoy wearing mine, um, and I work frequently. And we appreciate it. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Brian, for your time. And that's a wrap for this episode. We've got a few requests for our listeners. Encourage other instructors to subscribe to our podcast, other concealedcarry.com uh, podcasts on iTunes and Google Play. Visit our sponsors, especially the Firearms Trainers Association, ftaprotect.com, and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. Remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off at checkout. If you have any ideas, questions, or feedback, please email us at FTP at concealedcarry.com. Remember to rate our podcast and leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Remember, we bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Students are looking to you their instructor for the best information possible. Remember, stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.